What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The following podcast is going to contain what it contains, and that's just a dude talking about stuff. There will be spoilers, probably. I mean, I never know what I'm going to say until I say it. Just consider yourself warned. Welcome to another episode of the Stephen or Else podcast. I'm your host, Stephen, and I have got Avengers on the brain. I don't know why. Maybe it's because there's a movie currently at the box office that is breaking records left and right. Or maybe it's because I am not able to go see the movie until it comes out on DVD because I have neither the time nor the money to go do so. Or maybe it's just a combination of both. But regardless, I have got Avengers on my brain. I can't stop thinking about the Avengers. And when I think about the Avengers, of course, I think about the comic books. And when I think about the comic books and I think about the Avengers and I put both of those together in a great big pot and I stir them up together, there is one particular storyline that I cannot help But think about my most favorite single storyline in all of Avengers history. I'm sure you have your own. And it may be this one, and it may not be. But for me, it's Under Siege from back in 86. Now, this runs through the Avengers title, issues number 273 to 277. It was written by Roger Stern with breakdowns by John Buscema, finishes by Tom Palmer, letters by Jim Novak, Colors by Paul Becton. The editor was Mark Grunewald, and Jim Shooter was our editor-in-chief. Let, okay, so here's what the story is. Basically, what you've got is you've got Baron Zemo, who gathers up a bunch of supervillains, creates a new Masters of Evil. They invade the Inve- Avengers mansion, they take it over, and then the Avengers have to get it back. That's the story. But as we go through issue number one, you're introduced to all of these villains And there's a bunch of them, and I want to really kind of take the time to let you know who these villains are. But before we get to the villains, let's talk about who the Avengers were at this time. You had the Wasp, Janet Van Dyne. She was the leader of the Avengers at this point. You've got Captain America, Steve Rogers. You've got Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau, not to be confused with the Captain Marvel that you know from... The new movie, this is the Captain Marvel from the 80s. She is. Uh, she can transform herself into energy and fly at the speed of light. We've also got the Black Knight, Dane Whitman. He's very. He's a. He's like a scientist, genius type, but he's also a medieval knight with the ebony blade that is a mystical blade. We also have Hercules, and Hercules is Hercules, man. He's the son of Zeus. Now... Namor the Submariner is also in the Avengers at this time. Previous to this issue, he was inducted into the Avengers, but he takes a leave of absence, so he does not appear within this storyline. 
So for those of you who are new to the Avengers, and when I mean new to the Avengers, I mean reading the Avengers or seeing the movies just within the last 10 years, there was a time that they lived in the Avengers mansion, which was the size of a city block. It's, of course, a fictional place, but it was located at 890 Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, New York City, and was across from the park. It was originally the Stark family manor until Tony Stark, who, of course, we know is Iron Man. He donated the mansion to the Avengers. Its upkeep and finances are maintained through a charity called the Maria Stark Foundation, and it was primarily looked after by the Stark family butler, Edwin Jarvis. He not only took care of the mansion, but he also catered to the needs of the Avengers team. Now, you need to know who this guy is because he will play a part in this storyline, and he's just this... This, uh, you know, this, he's probably in his 50s, slightly overweight and balding, uh, British butler. But the Avengers Mansion served as a place to plan and strategize and was also a home for the Avengers when they needed it. Not all the Avengers lived there, but some of them did. And of course, this is where our story takes place. So we open issue number 273 with a splash page. We're in Mike's bar, Hercules He's partying with the locals and that because that's what he does. Hercules drinks a lot. He parties. He's just a fun guy. And he's holding up a table on his back with 12 of the bar's patrons on the table. And a fellow from atop the table shouts down to Herc that he just has to hold out for eight more seconds and then he'll win the bet. And Hercules isn't worried. After all, as he says, he's not called the Prince of Power for naught. But before the eight seconds is up, the table splits in half and the people spill out onto the floor. The fellow at the bar who made the bet figures that despite the table breaking, Herc would have won anyway, so he honors the bet and buys a round for everyone. Then he and Hercules get to talking, and the guy asks him about the rest of the Avengers. And this provides the new reader, if you were, a, uh, you know, they, they would do this every once in a while back then. They would just reintroduce the reader to the characters. And this was a, a quick two-page way to do it. Matter of fact, I think it was more like a, a page and a half or a full page. And so it, Hercules is going through each of the each of the Avengers of who they are, you know. He does he's not giving away any secrets, but but then he uh he gets done with it and the guy starts cracking a joke about the wasp and you know cracking jokes about Hercules taking orders from a woman, which Herc doesn't take too well. And they have been establishing for a number of issues up to this point that he he doesn't like being told what to do when it comes from a woman. He's been keeping it all inside up to this point, but a stranger giving him crap about it at a bar just turns out to be a little too much, and he throws the guy through the bar's front window. The guy flies out into the street where he's about to be run over by a big truck, but Hercules, realizing what he's done, rushes out and puts himself between the man and the truck, smashing up the truck, in the process as Hercules is left to deal with the consequences, meaning he just tells the owners of the bar and the truck that they, they just need to send the bill to the Avengers and that the Avengers will make it right. The man that Hercules nearly killed the guy at the bar who made the bet and started cracking wise about the wasp. He takes off and we soon find him climbing into the back of a van that's occupied by yellow jacket. And that's when it's revealed that this fella is the wrecker. Okay, so who are Yellow Jacket and the Wrecker? Yellow Jacket is Rita Demira. She first appeared in Avengers 264, which is in relation to this issue is not that long ago. She'd stolen one of Hank Pym's 
yellow jacket costumes and she modifies it for herself. She's a cybernetics expert and with her suit, she's able to fly, grow and shrink and shoot stinger blasts. The wrecker is Dirk Garthwaite. His first appearance is Thor 148 from 1968 and he was given superpowers accidentally, by mistake, by the Norn Queen. He has superhuman strength, stamina, and durability, and he wields an enchanted, indestructible crowbar. So the two villains, it turns out, they've been spying on Hercules, and they call in their report to Moonstone. Moonstone is Carla Sofen. She first appeared in Captain America number 192 from 1975. She's a psychiatrist with a lust for power, and she uses hallucinogens and hypnosis to persuade Lloyd Block the original Moonstone, to give her his Moonstone, the source of his and now her power. So with it, she's got superhuman strength, speed, stamina, durability, agility, and reflexes, along with flight and the ability to phase. So it's quickly revealed that Moonstone isn't actually the boss. The boss is Baron Zemo, and he walks in and he asks her what she's doing. Baron Zemo is Baron Helmet Zemo, and he first appeared in Captain America 168, from 1973. So as I said, he's the son of Baron Heinrich Zemo, the Nazi scientist who crossed swords with Captain America now and again in World War II. He has slow aging. He's a genius. He's an expert fighter, swordsman, marksman, and, and tactician. And he is the leader of this team that we will meet. So Zemo sends Moonstone on her way. She's not supposed to be on monitor duty. And it's clear right away that she doesn't trust Zemo. And she wants to be the one in charge. We cut to the moon where Captain Marvel is testing herself by using her energy power to pass through the moon. Her test is successful, and she zips on over to Paris for some breakfast at the speed of light. Back at the villain's lair, Zemo comes to see Moonstone and check on her progress. He tells her that Captain Marvel is more powerful than they first suspected, as their long-range scanners picked up her passing through the moon. Moonstone has been working on a defense against Captain Marvel's power, and Zemo demands an update. Moonstone points to a man. He's strapped to a table that's been there the whole time that we were just supposed to ignore up until this point. His name is Blackout, and he is what she's been working on. Blackout is Marcus Daniels. He first appeared in Nova number 19 from 1978. He had been bombarded with dark force radiation and can now manipulate an extra-dimensional energy called the dark force. And in this, and in, in, we'll just say in this issue, he's probably got the most ridiculous and yet awesome costume at the same time. Solid black, yellow boots with little lightning bolts coming off of them, yellow gloves with little lightning bolts coming off of them. And then over his face is a lightning bolt, bolt that sticks up off the top of his head. And it looks silly, but he is a freaking catatonic psycho and it makes him look just really creepy i mean you combine the way he is drawn the the look in his eyes i'm just going to take a moment here to really praise john busima and tom palmer this artwork is phenomenal these guys know how to tell a sequential story they it's because it's not all about just cool costumes and striking the right pose and and, and uh, the, you know, the greatest action pose there is and throwing punches. 
just all the stuff in between they do just phenomenally they're just excellent and the way they the way they do blackout he's just always just wide-eyed and just these vacant wide eyes and they they draw it perfectly you can't if you never if you just seen a picture of this dude you'd go man he looks crazy and he does he looks creepy and he looks crazy now zemo he's not impressed with blackout and he dismisses him as a raving paranoid moonstone admits that he does go a bit catatonic now and again but all in all it helps her control him she tells blackout to protect them and with the blank stare of a coma patient he stammers protect and suddenly a black force surrounds them and not even zemo's super awesome best in the world laser pistol can fire through it and now he's convinced then suddenly the building shakes and the two go into the next chamber to find out what's what here we find mr hyde fighting with pile driver mr hyde is calvin zabo he first appeared in journey into mystery number 99 Back in 1963, he was a brilliant researcher with little morals and was obsessed with the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story, so much so that he created a Hyde formula and was turned into a huge Hulk-like creature that he called Mr. Hyde. He's got superhuman strength, stamina, durability, and a healing factor. Pile driver is Brian Kaluski. He first appeared in Defenders number 17 from November of 1974. During a prison breakout with the Wrecker and two others, the Wrecker, willing to share his abilities with the three, holds up his magical crowbar, and as the others hold it, it's struck by lightning, and the Wrecker's powers are split into fourths, and a quarter of it goes into Brian Kaluski. So he's super strong, super durable, and all that. So Mr. Hyde is really taking it to Pile Driver. Moonstone tries to intervene to stop Hyde but she's not having any luck. Zemo, however, he simply places a hand on Hyde's shoulder and the man calms immediately. He sends Hyde off to rest and the man complies, leaving Moonstone to believe that there is more to Zemo than meets the eye. She leaves Piledriver and Zemo alone and we discover that Piledriver started the fight on Zemo's command just so that Zemo, using a tranquilizer needle in the palm of his hand, could trick Moonstone into thinking he has total control over his people. This isn't hardcore. This is for the art dorks, theater geeks, and comic book losers, and all the smart sorts. This is for the tabletop dice rollers and poetry readers, and every nerdy kid who's still repping the art form. So join the nerd core. Here's your application. Join the nerd core. You know we're all waiting. Join the nerd core. You know we're coming through. So listen up. Here's what the core can do for you. Start a website, start a blog too. You want hip hop? Sorry, right, we got you. So now these rappers talk about my skills like he's alright, but he's not real. Go ahead and talk about how Adam never paid his dues. Your business models are worn out like my favorite shoe. With your little local scene and your whack ass crew. Don't even ask to do a show when I'm passing through. And just because I speak on comics and rap, I'm bombing these cats. Be honest, what's your problem with that? Come on, Jack. So now you want to talk how you can do better. Rocking your throwback, Snoopy Iceberg sweater. I'm a postmodern gangster. Ironic half-stepper. Rapping for a living because my mama never taught me better. Because this is hip-hop, just not the stuff you're used to. We're like the ultimate version of the Juice Crew. This isn't Later that night, the Black Knight and the Wasp, who appear to be a couple, I believe, they attend a gala event to raise money for the March of Dimes when Paladin shows up. 
He first appeared in Daredevil 150 from 1978. He's a mercenary and he's a private investigator. And he and Janet seem to have a bit of a history together and it bothers the Black Knight to no end. Back at the villain's secret headquarters, the Fixer brings Zemo his headband, which he has modified. With that, Zemo calls the team together. Among those we've already seen are Tiger Shark, Goliath, the Absorbing Man, Titania, Thunderball, and the Bulldozer. Okay, we'll start with the Fixer. The Fixer is Norbert Ebersol. His first appearance was Strange Tales number 141 from 1966. He was a child prodigy with such great mechanical aptitude that he took apart and repaired an alarm clock at the age of three. By 10, he'd built a small electrical car, and by 13, a robotic arm. Eventually, he used his skills for crime. Tiger Shark is Todd Arliss. He first appeared in Submariner number 5 from 1968. He was an Olympic swimmer who damaged his spinal cord. During experimental surgery, Dr. Lemuel Dorca blended Arliss's DNA with Namor and a tiger shark. He's got superhuman strength, speed, stamina, durability, agility, and reflexes, and also has a healing factor. Goliath is Eric Jostin. First appeared as Goliath in Iron Man Annual Number 7 from October of 1984. The first Baron Zemo gave him powers using the ion ray that gave Simon Williams his power. Simon Williams would be Wonder Man. And then Eric became Power Man. This was back in Avengers 21, October of 1965. He lost those powers and eventually hooked up with Dr. Carl Mollis, who renewed his strength, but also gave him an extract of the growth formula created by Hank Pym. He's got superhuman strength that grows as he grows, along with invulnerabilities and superhuman stamina. The Absorbing Man is Carl Crusher Creel. He first appeared as the Absorbing Man in Journey into Mystery, number 114 in March of 1965. Loki, the Asgardian god of mischief, while Creel was in prison, slipped an enchanted potion into Creel's drinking water, which gave him the power to absorb the physical properties of anything he touches. Titania is Mary Skeeter McFerrin. She first appeared in Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars number three, July of 1984, which, hey, that's an event we're talking about over at Event or Else, isn't it? Just saying. She's got superhuman strength, stamina, and durability. Thunderball is Elliot Franklin. He first appeared in Defenders number 17 in 1974. He was once a brilliant physicist and inventor of the miniature gamma ray bomb, something Bruce Banner could never do. Franklin turned to a life of crime to fund his research and eventually landed in prison where he met Dirk Garthwaite, also known as the Wrecker. During a prison breakout with the Wrecker and two others, Brian Kaluski and Henry Camp, willing to share his abilities with the three, the Wrecker and the others held his magical crowbar up as it was struck by lightning, distributing the Wrecker's abilities among the other three. He's got superhuman strength, stamina, and durability. Bulldozer is Henry Camp. He first appeared in Defenders number 17 from November of 1974. He was born in Topeka, Kansas. His mother left him in a garbage pile two days after he was born. He was raised in an orphanage 
He spent some of his time in the army until he was dishonorably discharged. He turned to a life of crime and he was eventually arrested and sent to prison where he, like Thunderball and Piledriver, met the wrecker. And well, you know that story. All right, so with our gathering of villains, Zemo gives a speech. He tells them that time after time, the heroes have beaten them because the heroes have been able to work together, form the Avengers, and as a team, they are mightier than any of them individually. But now that he has gathered them all, they have more power combined than the Avengers, and they're going to use that power to strike. Moonstone speaks up against Zemo, and so Zemo directs Blackout to restrain her, which he does, wrapping her up in the Dark Force. This shocks Moonstone, because she's the only one who should be able to control Blackout. But we soon learn that the modifications that the Fixer made to Zemo's headband are what allows him to control Blackout. Moonstone backs down and agrees to follow Zemo like she has any choice. And this is where we find out the name of our group of villains, the Masters of Evil. We go to the Avengers Mansion. It's empty, but for Jarvis the Butler, who is on monitor duty. It should have been Hercules, but he decided instead to go out with some charming young lady who invited him to take a cruise with her at the last minute. This is the moment that Zemo, knowing that none of the Avengers are home, decides to strike. Goliath, Moonstone, Blackout, Mr. Hyde, Tiger Shark, and the Wrecking Crew break down the front gate and assault the mansion head-on, easily getting through the auto defenses. Soon they're in the mansion themselves, and they begin wrecking the place. Poor Jarvis all alone in the monitor room, attempts to send out a distress call, but it's picked up and jammed by the fixer. Mr. Hyde breaks into the monitor room, and we're left to wonder what's going to happen to Jarvis. Not long after, once the mansion is secure, the fixer and Zemo arrive to take up residence. And that's the end. That is issue number one. Check it out, yeah, uh, this is summertime, we got a heat wave outside, must say frosty on the mic, know what I'm saying? Yeah, sunny day outside, maybe it's too hot, maybe I walk around the block to get adjusted, maybe the edges of my eyes are all crusted, because I dreamed all night, yo, poetic justice, got me taken to the streets with a newfound sense of purpose, because new things have surfaced, now I'm revaluating how I approach this, stepping on new ground. Nah, to everybody suffering from some kind of corruption inside of their minds, body, or soul, then trust in this. You need sustenance, something different from the hustle and bustle your whole daily production got as custom in. I place like all my attention up in the beats and rhymes, hoping to keep the time and speak the deepest line. And if I never hit the streets in time, then I'ma just keep rocking with the peace of mind. Doing our best to just get by, so raise your hands and touch the sky. Okay, so this takes us into issue 274. And now that the Masters of Evil have taken over the Avengers Mansion, Black Knight shows up. He has left the party early. He was getting very jealous about Janet hanging out with Paladin. So he comes home and they let him walk up the sidewalk. He doesn't notice that the, the gate has been smashed down because they replace it with another gate. 
He doesn't notice that it's a new gate. He gets up to the front door. He puts his card in. He gets into the to the main foyer. And right away, he kind of realizes there's something wrong because the lights are out. And he pulls his sword just as a blast comes at him. And it's Yellow Jacket. And she zooms by. He goes to give her chase. He's like, what the heck? Why is there a freaking supervillain in my mansion? And he goes to give chase when a fist comes through a wall, smashes him in the side of the head and knocks him onto the floor. And it's Mr. Hyde who comes crashing through the wall. Mr. Hyde then, uh, he really just starts pounding on the Black Knight. We have to understand that the Black Knight, Dane Whitman, he is not, he's not, he doesn't have superpowers. He's just a regular dude. And so- you really worry at this point if Hyde is going to kill him. And you also realize if you've never read any books with Mr. Hyde in it before, this dude is freaking crazy. He does not care. He is, I mean, as a kid, I remember reading this and thinking, come on, man, you're super strong. This is a regular dude. Settle down. But Yellow Jacket intervenes and she has him stop because they are supposed to take him alive. And she grabs his sword. Black Knight is unconscious at this point. And Mr. Hyde ties him up with his own cape and throws him over his shoulder and they go off. Takes him into a, like the meeting room where poor Jarvis, he's, he's, in a, he's tied, he's got his hands tied behind his back. He's sitting on a chair with a gag on and he's up on top of the conference room table. We then go to uh, Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel. She is having breakfast in her apartment in New Orleans. So she doesn't live at Avengers Mansion. She lives in New Orleans, which is cool because, again, she can travel at the speed of light. And she gets an alert on her Avengers communicator bracelet thing, and it's the Wasp telling her, you know, hey, something's come up. I need you at the mansion right away in the main assembly area. And Captain Marvel throws on her costume, and within a second, bam, she's in that main assembly area where the conference room table is. And, of course, the first thing she sees is Jarvis tied to a chair with a freaking gag around his mouth and Black Knight laying on the table unconscious. And before she can do anything, Blackout's there and he surrounds her with the dark force and it just squeezes her and disappears. And so we're left to believe that Captain Marvel has died. We go from there to New Jersey where Janet Van Dyne is living. She's lives in, She's rich. She lives in this big estate. She's sunbathing out by the pool. And a helicopter shows up overhead. And it's riding really low. And she's like, what the heck? And Captain America jumps out of the helicopter, lands on the diving board of the pool, does a flip, and then lands on the, the cement at the side of the pool next to Wasp. And she's like, what's going on? And he says, well... Says I was in the Carolinas and I had a run-in with the Trapster and Whirlwind, which I think we learned that happened in a Captain America issue, and we learned that that was something that Zemo had set up just to distract Captain America, and he figured Janet would be interested because they, her and Whirlwind have some kind of history, and so she says, "Well, why didn't you call the Avengers Mansion?" And he says, "I did, but the Avenger I talked to." didn't really seem all that interested. And she's like, what? Who did you talk to? And he said, you. She goes, me? I haven't been at the Avengers Mansion for a couple of days. And he says, well, you know, it sounded just like you, but I couldn't believe that you, wanted to be inter you wouldn't be interested, so I wanted to come talk to you 
face to face. So we go back to the Avengers mansion and the wrecking crew is doing what they do best and they are destroying the 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 inside of the Avengers mansion. And they're they're you know not only are they destroying stuff, they're destroying um the personal property of those that live there and they're they're looting as well. They're looking for valuables. And at one point we see that the wasp has now she's now inside the Avengers mansion. She's been able to get in and she is in her small little wasp size. She's basically re- reconnoitering. Re- you know, she's basically in there looking around, seeing what's going on. She finds Jarvis and the Black Knight. She takes Jarvis's gag off of him and finds out that, you know, this was all due to Baron Zemo and the Masters of Evil. And then we go to Hercules. And Hercules is getting out of a limo that has pulled up to the Avengers mansion. And that boy is drunk. He is drunk. And he gets out of the limo. He's feeling pretty good. And this girl that took him out, she picks up the phone and she calls Baron Zemo and says, all right, done. I've dropped him off. He is, he's freaking, he's drunk. And she says, I expect my money in my Swiss bank account. Well, Hercules is about to go into the mansion and the wasp flies up to him real quick. And she's like, don't go, don't go, follow me quick. And then some dude in a, in a ball cap, uh, comes up to him and it says, Hey, you remember me, your old buddy, it's Steve. And you know, it's Captain America. And he's like, you got to come with me, man. And they get him into this van and they tell him what's going on. And Hercules is like, what? Oh, heck no. Not my Avengers mansion. What? They're hurting. They're hurting. Freaking Jarvis. Oh, no way. And Wasp tells him, no, you can't go do anything. You have to stay here. And Hercules at that point, he's had enough. He's not going to take orders from a woman anymore. And he punches out of the van, punches a big hole into the side of the van. He goes up to the Avengers mansion and he punches a hole in the side of the wall. He gets into the Avengers mansion. First, he starts fighting Tiger Shark and he takes Tiger Shark out. And because of this, Captain America and Wasp, they get into the Avengers mansion, but they're stopped outside by some new auto defenses that the fixer has put into place. And one of them grabs Captain America. It's like a big, it's almost like a, a Dr. Ox tentacles. And a sonic alarm goes off, which kind of knocks Cap out in this tentacle, drags him into the mansion. The Wasp, in the meantime, gets away. And so now we've got Hercules and we've got Captain America in the mansion. Hercules has not yet been captured. He's still putting up a fight. Cap, however, is unconscious and the Black Knight is unconscious and the Wasp is outside. And it's as she's standing outside that Black's, that, that uh, Blackout standing on the roof with Moonstone encases the mansion in the Dark Force. It's like a big cube of dark force that nobody can penetrate. So we go back to Herc and he's fighting. He, he kicks Tiger Shark's butt, but then Mr. Hyde shows up and he grabs this giant piece of machinery and smacks Hercules in the face, knocking him down. The wrecking crew is there and they start wailing on him. And Hercules, you know, he's, he's a, he's a pretty tough guy and he takes off all five of them on and he's winning but then Goliath shows up. And the bigger Goliath, he's like the Hulk. The madder the Hulk gets, the stronger the Hulk gets. But with Goliath, the bigger he gets, the stronger he gets. And he turns giant size 
and he just he starts throwing Hercules around. He's got a hold of him by the ankle, and he's swinging him around like a freaking baseball bat and slamming his head into things. And then finally, as he's laying on the floor unconscious, the other five, you know, the wrecker and the wrecking crew, along with Mr. Hyde, just start wailing on him. We go back outside, and this is where we learn there's, there, there's no way in through the dark force. Inside, Captain America is being taken to Zemo, who kicks him in the face, and Captain America's bleeding is not looking very good. And then the issue ends with the dark force spitting Hercules out onto the sidewalk. Janet runs up to him. She picks up his hand. He's just there, lifeless on the sidewalk. She picks up his hand. She checks his pulse, and he has no pulse. And that's how the issue ends. And I think I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Because we're at about, we're over 30 minutes at this point. Um, and I think we're just going to go ahead and do the other three issues next week. But so far, this is just some really good stuff. I just cannot explain. There's this thing that Tom Palmer, that John Buscema and and Tom Palmer, they their, uh, their pages are, most of them are like a six panel grid, just square panels. And I know that for a lot of people anymore, that just seems boring, you know, because there's not any of these nobody's throwing punches out of panel and stuff. They're just, it's a pretty basic setup. But these guys know how to tell a sequential story. They know what they're doing. I mean, this is, this is expert storytelling as far as I'm concerned. And this was at a time especially as a kid reading this, you felt, it's like Hercules died? What? How could Hercules die? What's going to happen to Captain America? Oh my gosh, Jarvis. You know, you felt a sense of risk for these characters and it just made for good storytelling. So next week, we're going we're gonna to do the other three issues. We'll finish the storyline out and uh, I hope you join me for it because they are some pretty good comics. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Stephen R. Else podcast. You can email your questions and comments to stephenrls at gmail.com. You can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen R. Else. I also invite you to join me over at the Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Stephen R. Else. You can join me over at my patron. You can join my Patreon and for as little as a dollar a month, be a supporter of the show. And you also have exclusive access to the My Other Podcast podcast, which goes out twice a week and with rare exception is only available to the patrons. So that's at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. The Stephen or Else podcast is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find it over at comicspodcasts.com. The theme song for this show is Worship by Trinity X. Find it and more music from the band at atomiczombierecords.bandcamp.com. Dot com. The rest of the music comes from Adam Warrock. You can find him at adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. And of course, all those links will be in the show notes. So until next week, I'm Steven, and this has been my podcast. Be nice to each other.
Daddy. Good job. <laughs> BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.